Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we have every reason in heaven and in earth to love you because you have first loved us and you have loved us with an undying, unending, unconditional, irrevocable love. You have loved us into your family, God. You have loved us back to life. And so, Lord, we come to you with every reason to love you and we would love you as you yourself have loved us as we have heard not so that we could get to heaven or get out of hell not so that we could get something from you but solely because you are our God and our eternal King in Jesus name we pray Amen Amen God is good all the time It's so good to worship with you this morning. I I, want to thank our orchestra. Some of them are still leaving. Thank you to them. And thank you, choir. Wow. And Carlos, can't wait for tonight. What a great, great concert we will have as we worship together. So how do we practice resurrection? I've called this series of sermons, Practicing Resurrection, based on a little poem by the poet farmer Wendell Berry in Kentucky who says we ought to love God even when the world isn't right, even when the foundations are destroyed. The psalmist asks, what can the righteous do when the foundations are being destroyed? Oh, God is on his throne, the psalmist says. And Wendell Berry says we ought to love God. We ought to love the world that God created. And we ought to practice resurrection. So how do we do that? It sounds hard, doesn't it? I think about um, my experience as a young pastor. Back in my 20s, I was pastoring a little church outside of Waco. It was, to be specific, pretty close to Axtell and Mart, even closer to Elk, and not very far from a place called Mount Carmel. I'd never heard of Mount Carmel or David Koresh until... There was a young man in our church who was an electrician. Turns out the Mount Carmel people weren't good at at hooking up their own electricity, so they called the the power company. And my young friend went out there, and he said everybody was holding a machine gun while he was hooking up the power. And he asked me to pray for him in that, and I did, and he survived that experience. And then it wasn't long after that. I was a substitute teacher in Axtell Schools, and there was a young 15-year-old girl named Rachel who was married to David Koresh, the former Vernon Howell. But perhaps most memorable to me was an evening after I preached when a young man who was nearly seven feet tall, his name was Will, and he was the grandson of the founder of the Branch Davidians, a guy named Ben Roden, his wife Lois, their son George, and they had a daughter, and their daughter's son was this young man named Will. And Will came out of church one night, and I was standing at the back shaking hands with people. I said, Will, how are things going down there? And he said, it's getting kind of weird. I said, really? What do you mean? Because, I mean, there's weird, and then there's really weird. And, and, you know, a lot of weird things happen. But when weird happened down there, if you could call, then it was really weird. And I said, what's going on? He said, well, they're disinterring bodies, exhuming bodies. And they're having a resurrection contest. And the one of the leaders who can raise one of those bodies back to life again is going to be the new leader of the Branch Davidians. I was like, really? I want to be clear this morning. I don't mean that when I say practicing resurrection or anything like that. When I, when I say practicing resurrection, I mean that when you look at somebody 
who says, you know, I really want to change. And, and based upon the number of books right now about wanting to change, we really, as a culture, want to change. And if you read those books and you hear all these voices saying, I want to change, and you wonder, how do people change? And a lot of the answers are, well, you just got to try harder to change yourself. You just got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and then you'll be able to change. But as I read the Scripture, we who are trying to change our own lives and our own power are kind of like the Branch Davidians trying to take those bodies and bring them back to life again. The problem isn't that we're bad and we somehow need to become good. The problem is, as Paul says, yeah, we're dead and we need to live. And if you want to live again after you're dead, if you really want to change, it would help to consult somebody who has experience in the field. And the good news is we have a Savior who knows his way out of the grave. Would you open your Bibles with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 2? I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Next week we'll look at verses 8 through 10 and talk about God's workmanship, God's masterpiece. But today I want to think with you about practicing resurrection. Let's stand together, hear the word of the Lord today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul has just said to them, God who fills everything in every way wants to fill the church. And then he says, as for you, Gentiles he's talking to, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, you know, in in the Greek it says, But God, because of his great love for us, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us where in Christ Jesus thank you you may be seated so how bad was your sin anyway I'm not asking you to speak it out loud but I know we know that there are bad people somewhere who are doing really bad things but how bad was your sin and my sin well Paul says it was lethal even in small doses it was toxic to our souls. It's true that we're descendants of Adam. It's true that we inherited a propensity to sin. But our problem isn't the apple that Adam and Eve ate. Our problem is our own sin. And Paul says, it'll kill you. In fact, it did kill you. In fact, it took the grace of God to raise you back to life again. And Paul says, don't think it was just you Gentiles because we Jews And the rest of everybody else, we were all under the wrath of God because of the sin we had committed. And then he uses these two beautiful words, just two words there in verse 4 in the Greek. It says, but God. Yeah, your life was a mess, but God. You couldn't fix your own problems, but God. You, you, You 
were hopelessly lost. You were depraved. You were destined for an eternity separated from God. But God's purposes prevailed. And they prevailed through his love and his mercy and his grace and his kindness. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, hear this. You are loved. Because when we were at our worst, but God was at his best. But God, those are words of great hope for people like us who don't just need to somehow become good. We're the ones who need to come to life again. And Paul says, but, but God brought you back to life again. And he shows us just the truth about who we were. Before Christ, he says, we were living dead. I mean, we looked like we were alive. But we were really dead. You say, it really wasn't that bad, Pastor. I mean, I know there are people like that, but it wasn't that bad. No, no. Please do not protest too much on this. I know Mark Twain famously wrote, rumors of my death are greatly exaggerated, proving by being able to write that they really were greatly exaggerated. And you may be familiar with movies that have uh, sort of punchlines in them like, I'm not quite dead yet, or no, he's only mostly dead. But I'm telling you, we weren't just sick We weren't just dysfunctional. We weren't just in trouble. The problem for us was we were dead. And the problem with dead people is they don't pull themselves up by their bootstraps because they can't pull anything at all. We couldn't pull strings. We couldn't make things happen. We couldn't fix ourselves. He says you were dead in your transgressions. That's a word that means to trespass, to step over the line. Like the guys who broke into my house this week. They were stepping over the line. Stepping out with my television and my computers and everything. They were trespassing. They were transgressing. We're familiar with that. We know people like that are sinners. What I came this morning to say is, so are we. There but for the grace of God go I. The truth is, a man called me yesterday and he said, what should we do about these young men? Shall we put them in prison for two to 20 years? What would you do if you were punishing them? And I said, oh, you need to know I am a sinner saved by grace. And so if I don't forgive people, then I can't be forgiven. And I'm not going to tell you how to punish them. But I'll just tell you this. I I can't be forgiven if I don't offer forgiveness. And I'm not mad at them. I'm sad that this happened. I'm sad for them and for their family. I'm sad. But I'm not mad. Because we who have been touched by the grace of God know that we were trespassers, that we were sinners, that we had missed the mark. And he says, the truth is there was this sort of constellation of forces at work in our lives. There was, for instance, the fact that we were following in the ways of the world. We learned sin at an early age because everybody else is doing it. And we walked in the ways of the world. We're either on the broad way that the world is on or we're on the narrow way that reads that leads to life but remember what I said to you a couple weeks ago we are not on any middle way because there isn't one of a beautiful painting in my office um it's a German painting you have to be able to read German to read the inscriptions but it shows the wide way and it shows the narrow way and you're either on the narrow way that leads to life or you're on the broad way that leads to destruction he says we walked in the ways of the world that was our choice we did that he said we were under the influence and the power the hegemony we might say the control the authority of the prince of the power of the air Paul believed 
that there was a great spiritual force of evil in our world, and you and I were subject to that, and that that's the spirit that leads people to disobedience. So you've got the problem of the world, you've got the problem of the prince of the power of the air, Satan, and then you've got, well, you've got your own problem. He says, our own sinful nature, our own flesh is the literal translation so that we succumbed to our desires. You say, well, what's wrong with our desires? Well, in fact, a lot of the desires that God gives us are good. When we're hungry or we seek intimacy or we want to sleep, um, intimacy and hunger and sleep are not bad. But the thing about sin is that sin will turn them into lust and gluttony and laziness. And those are our choices, the cravings of our sin. We were just doing, he says, what we did by nature. And the the trouble with just doing what comes naturally, as Paul describes it, is that this sin that has become our way is the very same sin that brings us wrath. We find ourselves under the wrath of God. That, That throws some people off and say, well, yeah, I choose not to believe in a God of wrath. Well, you don't get to choose who God is. I mean, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but you don't get to choose who God is. And when I say God is a God of wrath, I don't mean by that that he's mean, Look, if God were not a God of wrath, he would not be loving and wise and good. Let me give you an example. If God didn't hate racial prejudice, he wouldn't be loving and good and wise. If if God didn't have wrath against child abuse, he would not be loving and good and wise. If God said it's okay for everybody to do what they want to do when they want to do it and to bully other people and to bomb other people, and he wasn't even mad about that, Would he be loving and wise and good? Be grateful for the wrath of God because the wrath of God that is revealed against all wickedness in all places, it affects Gentiles. If you read this passage and you say, who exactly is this you? You want to know who? You (laughs) and me, the Gentiles. And then he says, but we Jews were wrapped up in that too. And the rest of the people, he says, we were all under the wrath of God. And let me just explain God's wrath to you. Wrath is God's personal and constant hostility toward all that is evil in our world. His unwillingness to compromise with it and his resolve to condemn it. That is the wrath of God. But it is not, it is not separate from his love. I want you to know when it says that God has this wrath against our sin... That's the same word for God that he uses in verse 4 when he says, but God. Yeah, you were in a lot of trouble, if I can translate it. You were in a big mess. You were living in Death Valley. Anybody been to Death Valley, California? One of the hottest places in our country, the lowest place in our country, 280 feet below sea level. You were, you were living in Death Valley. I read this week, though, that the highest point in the United States, Mount Whitney, in the continental contiguous 48 states, the highest place, Mount Whitney, is in full view of Death Valley. That in Death Valley, just 76 miles away, is the highest mountain. That is, it's 14,454 feet above sea level. But you can see it from there. And here's the... I came this morning not to give you bad news. Okay, I started with bad news, but let me give you the good news. Yeah, you're in a whole lot of trouble apart from Jesus Christ. In fact, without Jesus Christ, you are destined for hell and you can't do a thing about it on your own. This is bad news. But... God, but God, but God 
who was great in love, raised us to life again. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that raises us. And why did he do it? Somebody will say, well, because of his glory. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, down on the cross because he just wanted to get more glory for himself. And that, that is true, but that is not all that is true. It is also true, John three sixteen, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son It is true that God loved us. God who was great in love. God's love is not fickle like your cat or my dog. God's love is constant and unchanging. God loved us. God is love. It is his nature to be loving. And God loved us with great love and he gave us mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Like if you were speeding today, and don't speed, but if you were speeding today, and the policeman pulled you over, and you expected a a big ticket, and he just said, you know what? I'm not giving you a ticket today. Yeah, you didn't get what you deserved. That's mercy. And it's a a distinctive, I think. In the Old Testament, chesed, the the, uh, covenant love, unfailing, undying love of God in the In the New Testament, it's this word mercy. You didn't get what you deserved. That ever happened to you? You didn't get what you deserved? David Neff, the editor of Christianity Today, tells about going to a conference where there were Muslims and Christians, and they were having a dialogue. And he said, this was the difference. The Muslims said, we ought to be kind and compassionate to orphans and widows. But if a person has a problem with drunkenness or gambling, well, that's just their problem. And the Christians said, yeah, well, we ought to be kind to widows and orphans, but we also believe that people who make mistakes, like all of us, can be forgiven by the grace of God, that Jesus, after all, we don't always practice this, but Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Here's the difference. For the, for the Islamic folks in the crowd that day, their idea of mercy was defined and conditioned by their concept of justice. But for the Christians in the crowd, at least this is what we believe, their justice was defined and conditioned by their understanding of mercy. Let me just make it specific. That's why we don't burn Korans. That's why we don't. Because people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who really love the Lord Jesus Christ, live like the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can't in a million years imagine Jesus burning a Koran for the sake of our soldiers over in Afghanistan. Thank God that the Koran was not burned Not that the Quran is true, not that you need to live by the Quran, not that we need to believe the Quran. We just don't burn Qurans. Because you can't just walk down an aisle and walk through water and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. You actually have to follow him. I'm not asking if you like Jesus. I'm asking you if you're becoming like Jesus. Because people who are becoming like Jesus don't do things like that. And the reality for us is... That we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God was rich in mercy. You say, I want to be rich. And I hear so many preachers these days saying, God wants you to be rich. Yeah, God wants us to be rich in his mercy. He wants us not to give people what they deserve. And he wants us to give people what they don't deserve. That's grace. And God's rich in that too. Do you know grace is not an abstract principle like whatever karma is supposed to be? I don't even know what karma is. I'm not an expert on karma. But I know about grace. In the Bible, it is never impersonal or abstract. It is always God doing something good for somebody. This is the grace of God that was given to us. And I love grace. You ought to love grace. If you don't don't love grace, you don't know grace. Because everybody who knows grace 
loves grace. In fact, um, one of the great uh, poets, uh, W.H. Auden, said, All I know is what everybody knows. When grace dances, I ought to dance. When grace dances, we ought to dance. Our souls ought to soar when we recognize the greatness of God's sovereign grace in our lives. Let me tell you what grace is. Grace is uh, this young boy who, with a couple of his Baylor buddies, some of my son's friends, on Father's Day came and worshipped. They sat right back in here. Interestingly, my son didn't come on Father's Day. I'm not going to talk about that. But his friends came, and his friends were sitting back here. And one of his friends uh, calls me Papa Brooks. He texts me all the time. He's going to go into the ministry. He's a little unorthodox. Just I'll just say that. He's a, he was the drummer with BRH when that choir came and sang to us. And he's just a little bit outside the box. He's a great kid. He texts me this summer. He says, I can't pay my summer bill. And I don't know what to do. I wrote back and said, what are you going to do about your fall bill? He said, yeah, I don't know. I said, do you still have your scholarships? He said, no, I took Hebrew. I, oh, okay. <laughs> so you, don't have, you can't pay your summer bill and you can't pay your fall bill. Are you tracking with me? I, you can't do either one of those. So, okay. Well, I'm a regent, but you know what? My kids pay full price. Just bottom line. I don't have any like special scholarships. Preachers don't get scholarships anymore. I don't think missionaries get scholarships anymore. It's just kind of the reality. And so, but I call and I, I just, I plead with the vice president of finance. I mean, I went all the way to the top and I just said, hey, listen, this boy, can I just tell you his story? His mom died when he was 17 years old. And his dad's not a believer, and his dad doesn't care whether he goes to college or not, but this boy wants to be in ministry, and he needs to be at this school right now, and, and he can't pay his summer bill, and he can't pay his fall bill, and I just, I put it all in a, in a, you know, out there on the line, and before I could finish, the vice president said, yeah, well, an anonymous donor, by the way, those are beautiful words, an anonymous donor has already paid his summer bill and his fall bill, and it wasn't long after that, Alan, who spells his name as I do, texted it back to me and said, there's an anonymous donor who paid for all my bills. And here's the thing. They really are anonymous because I don't, I don't know who it was. I don't know who paid Alan's bill. But I know who paid ours. I know who paid my bill. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. This is grace. And believe me when I say you need grace. I love that song. I think Fred has sung that song. Maybe others have sung that song. Were it not for grace. I can tell you where I'd be. Wandering down some pointless road to nowhere with my salvation up to me. And I know how that would go. The battles I would face forever running but losing the race were it not for grace and God has great grace and great love and great mercy and he gives us this grace so that he can bring us he can love us back to life again that's what it says in verses five and six that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead has raised us back to life again did you see the story of David and Kate Ogg, this young couple in Australia? They were with Ann Curry on the Today Show not long ago. And they um, were expecting twins in the 27th week. His wife went into premature labor. The babies were born. She knew that that was a dangerous time. The little girl Emily did fine. The little boy Jamie did not. The doctor worked with him for a long time and finally came in and said, Jamie did not survive. What would you do? Some of you have been there. Some of your kids have been there. They said, well, bring Jamie to us. We don't want him to come through this world without knowing how much we love him. So they took little Jamie and placed him 
on his mom. And the doctor said, you know, don't be alarmed. He may move, he may, but he's, he's, not, he's not alive. And they just wept and grieved over this little boy and what might have been. And after about five minutes there, this little boy sort of twitched and moved. And they said, oh, that's what the doctor was talking about. But then he opened his eyes and looked at him. They thought, well, that's not normal. They called the nurse and she said, no, that's what the doctor was talking about. But he didn't close his eyes. She took a little bit of milk on her finger and she put it in his mouth and he received it willingly. He grabbed his dad's finger. They said, doctor, he wouldn't come. He said, no, I, you know, I told you that would happen. I don't want you. Finally, they had to lie to the doctor. They said, you know, we, we need to come to terms with our son's death. Would you just come in the room? He came in the room. He pulled out his stethoscope. He said, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Well, all four of them showed up on the Today Show. There was little Jamie and little Emily. And the doctors, you know, scientists tried to explain it. And they said, there's a medical explanation. See, the baby was, the baby was dead. But, the, but what happened was, in that moment, through kangaroo care, by receiving his mother's warmth... He recognized that there was more to live for than to die for. I'm not sure this was all going through Jamie's mind, really. But, but that he decided it would be better to go down the road to life than the road to death. And she loved that boy. They loved that boy back to life again. And that's my story. That's your story. We were dead. And Jesus, who came to life, brought us to life. And why did he do this? Paul says in verse 7, so that we could be exhibit A. So that throughout all of eternity, seated at the right hand of the Father, right there in the presence of Jesus Christ, people might look at us and say, oh, that's what grace does. That's what God's love can do. God can change people. God can bring them back to life again. People are in a mess. But God, don't give up. But God... We, we can't solve it, but God, but God, who was great in love, brought us back to life again. You know Thelma Moore passed away this week, and Pastor Larry went up, Larry Heslip went up and did the graveside. I think we're going to have a memorial service in the weeks to come, and I thought about that the next day when I sat down after the tumult at my house had calmed down. They caught the burglars and all that, and I... I sat down on Friday morning and I looked across the room and there was this beautiful painting of Moses that, that Thelma painted. St. Thelma painted a painting of Moses. And I, I just thought as I looked at that, nobody's ever come in my office and said, who is that? Because, I mean, it's Moses holding a tank. They know who it is. What they want to know is, what do they want to know? Who painted that? Because that's good. Look, the point of God And his grace is not that people will look at you and me and say, who is she, who is he? But instead, they'll look at us and say, who did that? Who made those people that loving? Who taught them grace? Why are they different from the ways of the world? Why are they not dominated by the prince of the power of the air? Why do they not live in the flesh? But God, yeah, they couldn't have done it on their own. But God... But God gave grace, but God gave life, but God gave hope. And Larry said, they stood there at the graveside, and as they were singing Amazing Grace, he, he said, I almost lost it when I, when I watched Charles with his mouth, mouth these words. But when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. We were dead 
But God, but God brought us back to life again. No wonder we sing. We ought to sing. We ought to sing from our souls because God gave us life. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy that gave us life. Help us never to take your great grace for granted. And help us today, I pray, to receive your mercy. We could rebel against your love, Lord, but we would rather revel in that love. We thank you, God, for grace because we know where we'd be without it. So help us, Lord, to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.